Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. I want to uh, say right now that I, I really want to express my appreciation for uh, those wonderful ladies that did come out and include us in their work. They are doing a really great work and building to making better citizens of the people in this region and Huntsville area as well uh, and I, I I was kind of, kind of shocked when Paul told me that he was going to have my picture up there I, I think if I had known enough in advance I'd have tried to kind of get that picture away from him. I remember one time before and when we were in the old building that I had a picture and I don't think it followed us here, but I had been putting in applications to drive the van, and nobody would uh, uh, accept my applications, but as close as I got to it, they did allow me to sit in the van one time, make sure that it was way away from the street or everything, and and they took my picture, and I think they had it up on the wall for a while. For and they let me see. I couldn't ever persuade the one that was over the uh, one that was getting drivers that uh, I could do it. I tried to use the scripture: "We walk by faith <laughs> and not by sight." And and it didn't go over. They didn't accept it for whatever reason. But I do appreciate the fact that they have, uh, uh, West Huntsville have always included me in trying to do those things that they thought that I was able to do to help further the work here. <clears throat> I had them fooled for a while. Now I think they know better. But they still include me because they're kind and loving. And I appreciate Brother Tom, who has teamed up with me in conducting this class, and I think he's done an, a fantastic job. And actually, I, I need him more than he thinks I do because I'm trying to cover uh, the last part of the th third chapter and the fourth chapter in this setting, and I don't think that can be possibly done and he's going to have a whole lot more work than he thinks uh, in, in this but uh, I want to express my appreciation to the wonderful job that he's done in teaming up helping me in this work but before we go into uh, continuing this I want to uh, kind of give you an idea of what this thing is in my hand because somebody uh, has 
probably more focusing on this than what I'm talking about in the lesson. And I want to just tell you what it is so you don't have to worry about focusing on it. Because a lot of people have asked me, what is that thing? This is the closest that you can come to having a Braille computer. This will just about do anything that your regular computers would do. It will store a lot of files in it. It holds about 32 gigabytes worth of memory space in it. And so that can hold a good deal of material. And so uh, when you see me mashing these buttons, moving this uh, uh, things around on it, you won't know what it is. But in, And even if you could see the Braille dots, you wouldn't know because I, I be moving it around and I'm talking about something else as well. So you know what this is. And so I want you to focus on what we're talking about rather than this thing that's in my hand. Now, <clears throat> we, Brother Tom, uh, last week, last time, that is, we didn't, I don't think we came together last week, but last time he uh, uh, covered half of the third chapter here. And I want to point out there's five arguments that Paul uses in the third and fourth chapter of uh, this uh, book. Now, Paul, he having defended him, himself and uh, defending his uh, preaching of the gospel, and he pointed out that he was a... a, a speaking for God rather than man. He was trying to please God more so than man. Those first, first two chapters was based on him defending his authority to preach the word of God. And in the third chapter, uh, as Brother Tom uh, pointed out in the first half of the chapter, there's several things. Actually, there's three arguments beginning in this chapter. In the next two chapters, Paul is talking about the liberty that we have in the book, uh, in, uh, in Revelation, uh, not Revelation, but Gal Galatians. He's talking about the liberty. And, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I said that this book is uh, considered the Magna Carta of uh, uh, Christian liberties. And this, uh, these two chapters will exp uh, explain why uh, this is so. There's five arguments in the third and fourth chapters of this book. And Brother Thomas started, the, he got into the first two arguments. The first five verses present the first arguments, which represent what I consider the uh, personal argument that Paul makes that they were free from the law, of free from being under the law of Moses. And then the second argument he started, uh, he got into that argument, which consists of the 6th through the 25th verse, 
And I believe he got as far as the 14th verse in that argument. And I want you to see that in this argument, which I consider the scriptural argument that he presents in this, uh, he talks about certain things. The first point he made under that argument was the fact that uh, Abraham uh, was an example. Uh, they, uh, 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 God uh, made uh, Abraham an example, and, and, and Abraham was an example by faith, and uh, so he represented that, and he accredited Abraham uh, by faith because of his belief. Abraham believed in God, attributed that to him uh, for, as righteousness. And uh, so Abraham was a faith, it was count, it counted to him for believing that uh, God, you know, uh, God had appeared to Abraham and told him to get away from around his kinfolks and go to a land where he uh, would show him. Abraham didn't even know where he was going, but he obeyed God and God accounted that for righteousness. And then he, uh, he was foretold by scripture that God would uh, justify the nations by the faith in Christ. And all of this was done through Abraham. Those of Abraham are, are blessed along with uh, those of, uh, of, of faith are blessed along with Abraham who uh, is sometimes called the father of faith. Then the second point that Brother Tom got into uh, last time was the fact that when you're under the law, you're under a curse. And that we, those who live by the works of the law, they are under that curse. And they are under bondage. And then we, we see in that that we uh, justify it by faith and not by the law. And in the very last uh, point that he made, under this law that Christ had redeemed us from that curse of the law by his death on the cross. And so we see that as we went through uh, that and he pointed it out and I think, I think the last verse that uh, he covered in the last lesson was the, pro the uh, fact that uh, Christ had redeemed us from that law, and that was uh, the blessing of Abraham in Christ, and that in, uh, made it possible for the Gentiles to be included under the uh, promise of the law. Now, in the uh, third part point under that uh, scripture uh, argument that Paul gives is that the priority of uh, the law, the priority of the promise over the law. Now, now, when you talk about a priority, you're talking about the importance of something. If something has a priority, it, it has top priority, top importance. And so uh, you, when you got a list, uh, the top thing on that list is your top priority. That's what you want to 
uh, first f focus on more than anything else on that. And so Paul is talking about here in the third points that the uh, law, the, the uh, priority of the promise over the law of Moses. Now, uh, in this, uh, Paul uh, points out from the 15th through the 18th verse in that, that the law was given 430 years before, uh, the promise that is was given 430 years before the law uh, was uh, put forth before the law so the covenant to Abraham the promise to Abraham was made a long time before the law was even uh, brought about and he pointed out here in this that the law could not cancel out or annul uh, the uh, promise that was made to Abraham. The law was the intent of the law was not to cancel out the uh, uh, promise that was made to Abraham. That the promise that to Abraham was priority. That was the top importance, and the purpose of the law was not to cancel that promise that was made to Abraham 430 years before. God told Abraham that all of the nations would, of the earth would be blessed through him. That was the promise. That was not the law. It was the promise that God had made to Abraham that he is going to bless everybody through uh, Abraham's seed. You notice he used seed there. It's not like it's uh, several descendants. It's one target descendant that God had in mind uh, through Abraham's seed. Not seeds, but seed. One targeted uh, 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 seed that he had in mind. And that seed he pointed out in this was was Christ, Christ, that seed of Abraham. And so uh, this was the priority. And it goes on to talk about the purpose that the law was given. Uh, the purpose of the law, he pointed that out when you come to the uh, 19th through the 25th uh, verse of the uh, third chapter you see that he gives us the purpose of law. The law was a, uh, it, it had a purpose. God had a purpose for giving the law and it was not to fulfill the promise that he had made. The purpose of the law was to kind of keep the people together until that he could fulfill the promise of, that he made to Abraham. In the 19th verse, he said it was given. Why it was given? It was given because they had sinned. They had transgressions because the people were sinning. If there was no law, the people could do anything they want to and they wouldn't have to account for it. It says sin is not imputed to a person where there's no law. You can't say that I did something wrong if, if the law didn't... Uh, tell me that it was wrong for me to do it. It would be wrong as, in morally speaking, but the law, they couldn't do nothing 
to me if it was no law against it. And so the law was put where the people could have accountability. This was to keep them uh, together as the people of God until the seed should become uh, so what the law could be fulfilled. And that seed was Christ. And so Christ was the fulfillment of, of the promise and not uh, the full uh, not the the law it was made to uh, uh, the law law's purpose was to keep the people in check to make them accountable and so he he's arguing here that the law was never built based on the promise that was given to Abraham it had a separate purpose from the promise uh, of Abraham. And I so when uh, uh, considering, keeping on considering the purpose of law, the law was not against the promises of God. And that's, that's what he's trying to uh, make them see in uh, his presentation. That people would be kept under the law uh, 20, verse 21 through 23 kept under the law uh, and the law was to serve as a, a tutor okay, old King James version says as a schoolmaster to bring us into Christ but uh, it, 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 the better translation is like a tutor you know what a tutor is a guardian it has a kind of like a babysitter kind of thing you know what a babysitter, uh, these uh, people that have to go to work and have to get a babysitter and <clears throat> keep the uh, look over the, uh, look out their children until they can get off work. And the babysitter's job is to kind of kind of guard over the children and protect them and keep them in line until the parents can get back home and take over the uh the uh, responsibility of of, of of guiding the children, and so, and of course now when you got a babysitters are never intended to take over the responsibilities of the parents. They are to just kind of babysit the children until uh, the parents can get uh, to where they can take care of them come get off for work. And that's kind of what the law was like. It was to kind of babysit the, uh, the uh, children until uh, this seed or the promise of God can, could be fulfilled under that. It, so it wasn't against the promises. It was to kind of help uh, things along. And they were all confined. And then after it pointed out here in the uh, latter part of it, the law, when it served as that tutor, when Christ came and they could be justified by faith, they didn't need uh, a babysitter any longer. They didn't need the tutor no more. It eliminated the need of a tutor uh, and and so that's what verses twenty four and twenty five tell us that that 
this law had served its purpose when Christ came. When Christ came, it was by faith. And here's where the promise of Abraham come into effect. And the last argument, which spills over into the fourth chapter of the book of uh, Galatians, is justified by faith. And here's the uh, uh, practical argument. Now, when you, you, you got the people, you got the law, and you got the purpose of the law and everything, the next practical thing is that we becomes the, uh, they become the uh, sons of God. It brings us to the point now to where uh, the fulfillment of the law has taken place, and here is where the promise comes into effect here. You notice the law was to keep them together to the promise to the seed could come to which the promise was made. And here Christ is here. He's crucified on the cross. And notice in the 26th verse, say they, they, you become the son of God. You're children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. That's the 26th and 27th verse. The first point under this argument here is through faith in Jesus they became the sons. You notice the 26th verse says you put on Christ through faith. You have faith in Christ, you put on Christ. You clothe yourself with Christ by faith. But now what does that faith include? A lot of times people don't understand what that faith entails. You got a lot of doctrines today that teach that all you have to do is to believe, and that's all it is to it. But faith requires believing, all right, but what constitutes believing? What is a part of believing? Jesus said, for instance, in the book of, of Mark, the uh, 16th chapter 50 verse, he said, Go to all the world and preach the gospel. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. A lot of times people want to put uh, the salvation uh, before baptism. They say you're saved and because you're saved, uh, you show, it, show that you're saved through baptism. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said he that believeth and is baptized. He ties baptism to faith. The completion of faith is baptism in the Christ. And baptism, uh, you know, is after, when you start believing, it's a part of believing. You can believe what Christ said, and if you're not willing to fulfill that, full, complete that believing part of it, the Bible, James said, the devils believe, and they tremble. They believe. But they don't have the faith. If you have faith, you believe to the extent that you're going to do everything that requires you to do to please God. And a part of that faith is that you have to be baptized. That's a part of faith itself. You cannot have faith, the faith that the believing, the faith that we need to have the faith in Christ that we have if you're not willing to accept the fact that you have to be baptized. You know, this thing makes me sound louder than I ought to. But I'm sure that you guys can hear me. 
better than I can heal myself. <clears throat> but anyway, uh, and then the next thing after you, you know that you, you, you're baptized and, and it shows that you are, are part of, of faith, you completed that faith, then we know uh, that you're one in Christ. You know, baptizing because the Jews are one, the Gentiles are one. There's no more, there's no separation. You know, one that from before Christ came, uh, you know, if any Gentiles was accepted in the, by Christ, they had to be proselyted as a Jew. But you know, when Christ came, the Jews, the Gentiles, they're together. They ain't got no plan of salvation. You don't have to become a Jew. You have to become a Christian. You have to get under Christ. You notice the only reason that Paul was using the term to the Jew first and then to the Gentile because the promise was made to Abraham who was the father of the Jewish by flesh so to speak and but and, and the Gentiles, the Gentiles, and you know the Jews, they kind of rejected Christ, and 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 so uh, it, the Jews are still welcome as much as the Gentiles are welcome in accepting uh, the plan of of, of God, uh, fulfilling the promise of Abraham. And uh, what you don't really know, though, what you might not realize in the uh, genealogy of Christ, it's not just composed of Jews only. You've got two women in that genealogy that were not Jews. And I'm sure you know who that was. That was Ruth and, and, and Rahab, and they were in the lineage of Christ. And they were Gentiles. So Gentiles were not left out the lineage of Christ. And, and you can keep that in mind. And, but anyway, when faith came along, it shows that the promise of God is being fulfilled here in Christ. And there's no longer Jews and Gentiles in Christ, but everybody is Christians in Christ. And today... We need. We have one plan of salvation, and everybody who wants to obey the gospel has to be a part of that one plan. Now we spill on into chapter four, and we go continue that argument of justification by faith, and we continue the argument of the practical argument. He points out in the first seven verses in this chapter four that they had been as children. Uh, in the first part of chapter 4, they been children, no different than children when they were under the law, when they were still children. The law, you know, I told you that the law served as a babysitter. They were children. They had, that, the law was kind of babysitting them. And they, uh, even though they would become part of the inheritance and they would become masters over that, they were still children, and they couldn't they couldn't rule as children. They still had people who had to look after them and rule, and they had they were acting just like servants. 
They didn't have no power in the service because they was under the rules that the babysitters had set for all of them to keep them in check. They couldn't do what they wanted to just because they would be masters later on and rulers. They still had to follow uh, the 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 path under the law. They were still subjected, but here they were children while they were under the law. But uh, when they uh, came, uh, when they were when Christ saved, they they received adoption through Jesus Christ as a part and sons, and they were no longer children. They was in, they, they became adopted unto the family of Christ. They was under uh, uh, bondage before Christ. They was not a part of the ruling sector. But now, when they became uh, into God's family, when Christ uh, sacrificed himself, God sent his spirit into their hearts, crying out, Abba, Father, and they could do that. Uh, because they was a part of of the inheritance now. They had they were part of receiving that inheritance. They was in in the will of God now. God's will. You know, you could you know, people could uh you could be a lovely person, a good person, and and you could be well thought of and everything like that. But if you in and you could be friends with the a rich person, but if you're not in that will, you're not going to get none of that inheritance if he didn't put you in that will. And so uh, those who, who were under law, they were not in that will. They were not a part of that family, not a part of that inheritance. And so they, uh, once they uh, came and was accepted in the family, and accepted in that will of God, then they were part of that inheritance and they could be glad uh, that they was in the family of that rich man. And if they, they knew that if they lived and, and did what they were supposed to be, that they would be a part and they would uh, get a part of that inheritance. A lot of times people think they're going to get a part of that inheritance because they... There's a lot of good people out there, but they won't become a part of God's family. And you're still not in his will. And and I think I got a lot of good friends out there. And uh, we're trying to share this and make them a part of our rich father, but they won't accept it. They want to go their own way. But if you're not in the will, you're not going to be a part of the inheritance when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Notice in the second uh, argument, the, the, the fourth argument really in the book is justified by faith. And this is called a sentimental argument. And this takes place from the eighth, uh, you can get, look in the eighth verse through the twentieth verse. And I consider that the sentimental argument that Paul talks about. When he goes, he talks about uh, he, he's afraid the way they're acting over their condition because they are observing days and all that and times and things like that. They, they're into the material things like that and still 
observing spiritual things, they're celebrating days. I think sometimes, personally, uh, I think we get too much in, into uh, getting attached to worldly things more so than we do to spiritual things even today. And I'm afraid of our uh, 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 people, of our, my brothers and sisters in Christ because I think that they get caught up in worldly uh, things too much. And uh, I, I think that uh, and this is probably in an attempt to let people know that we we don't think ourselves as better. We want to be a part of everybody else, and we want to use this to draw people to us. But I don't think you can do that. You cannot participate in worldliness and draw people to Christ. That's not you can't you can't compromise the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have to stand steadfast. You can't just and and indulge in worldly things. And I'm afraid that some of our uh, brothers and sisters who should be walking and shining light to the world and we're dimming our lights by being a part of worldliness in our lives and I think we need to kind of kind of take a closer look at that and and separate ourselves as brothers and sisters in Christ from those things out there in the world and that's what Paul is afraid of here in these verses here that they were returning to the beggarly elements of the world and they were not uh, going the way that they should be in Christ. He says that he's afraid that he's laboring in vain and so in the 10th and 11th verse. And he says, he talks about that past uh, uh, and, and the present relationship with him. In the past, they had received him had no problem with him. Had no problem with receiving him. Whatever his situation was, I don't know what his thorn in the flesh was that he talked about in the Bible, and none of us knows that. But he had some kind of uh, thing that kind of was a hindrance to him in some way. And of course, all, all of us need some kind of thorn sometimes to kind of keep us in check. You know, there's no telling what we would do if we didn't have some kind of thing to hold us in check. Because, you know, when you look out there in the, in the world and see all those good things, you know, it's a hard thing to keep back from wanting to enjoy all of that pleasure that's out there. I mean, somebody might not, they might think that, oh, I'm strong, I can do, I can do that. You know, you're not as strong as you think you are. You, you, you need to pray to God to continue to give you the strength to stand firm in all situations. Don't go out there and asking for trouble. Don't get yourself involved in things that you could be uh, falling into the temptation of Satan. You know, a lot of people who thought that they uh, were strong and, and didn't need any kind of help could go out there and they could handle the devil and tackle him and he tricked them. He got them and he got them into his camp now. Be careful. Stand fast in the Lord. 
And don't go out there and, and say, I'm going out there and I'm going to convert everybody. I'm going to make them think my way. Don't be so dogmatic and, and don't be so uh, thinking that you're stronger. Don't be patting yourself on the back and thinking I got it made. You don't. You need to stay with your eyes open, being careful and praying to the Lord and standing fast as a Christian. And that's what Paul is afraid that these people are going back. They're going back. And I'm afraid that some of us are following the same path as those people that Paul was afraid of, was afraid that was happening. He reminded uh, uh, people of their past relation with him. He said, in the past, you, you didn't pay no attention to those things that, 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 that you know, my uh, weaknesses, those things that hinder me. He said, uh, you, you, you didn't allow that my physical problem, my physical weaknesses, infirmities to uh, stand in the way of you receiving the gospel which I preached. You didn't allow that. And, and a lot of people, reason a lot of people think that uh, Paul's eyes might have been a problem for his problem. I, I hear a lot of people argue about that. I don't argue one way or the other about it. I just know he had a problem. And, and, and I know that it, God said this, my grace is sufficient for you. Well, this is one of the things that they think. He said they, they, he said they would have been willing to pluck out their own eyes for him, uh, uh, at one point, the 15th verse points that out, that they would have been willing to give him. And, and you know, a lot of time people talk about how good a person is and how uh, steadfast they would. They'd do anything for somebody. They say that person, they give them the shirt off their back, so to speak. There's a lot of people that way. They're giving. They're really good. I know one time I was at Marion, the, uh, a person had, had this tie, and I liked it. I could see it a little bit. Y'all think I'm in the darkness. I'm not completely in the dark. I see a little tiny bit enough to get me in trouble. And and so I admired this. I said, that's pretty tie. You know, he pulled that tie off and handed it to me. And and I I, I was sorry that I had said it, but I meant it, and, and I took my tie off. I was in a working place in where I wore a tie to work, and I took my own tie off and put that tie on. Uh, he gave it to me just because just I was at Martin. He, was, he said, you like it that much, I give it to you. So that's great. But Pete, Paul, they said, Paul, uh, you would have done anything you could for me at one time. And now, Am I become your enemies because I tell you the truth? And you know, sometimes, uh, as long as you're not hurting, uh, stepping on folks, other folks' toes, they, they, they'd be all right. As long as you're saying something about somebody else that don't apply to you, and as long as you don't, don't think they're talking about you, you're all right with it. But you get too close to home, you start seeing a different expression. And, and people. I've had that happen. 
I went to town and I was preaching in a place, I ain't going to tell you where it was, but I was talking to people and I preached on the same lesson one time. I had, have I become your enemy because I told you the truth? As long as I was preaching and, and, and not mentioning anything about what was going on, I knew some things were going wrong that shouldn't be going on, but I didn't say them right off. And I was talking about, and I was preaching hard. I was a fire young person when I used to be able to have good memory and and I have all my, you know, uh, thoughts about me. And that was the time when I stood up and my thoughts stood up with me. But now when I stand up, my thoughts sit down. And <laughs> and but the thing of it is, when I, I was preaching and. And I got to preaching about what they were doing wrong and the things they were wrong. Boy, I didn't say that two or three more. <laughs> I was gone. They they call that the hanging congregation anyway. I was out there. And I I was gone. <laughs> I, and and uh, see, my mouth got me in trouble. But you see, when you're talking for the Lord or when you stand up for the truth, sometimes people ain't going to like it when you start getting too close to home. And so that's one of those things you have to realize. And Paul realized, he said, am I become your enemies because I'm telling you the truth? Somebody had come in there and start uh, teaching those people false doctrine, and then they were zealous about it. They were really zealous about what they enthusiasm. Those, you know, a lot of times people get emotionally built up and they get led off into a lot of things. It's all right to be emotional inclined sometimes, but you need to keep control over your thoughts. You need to be able to, if you're going to get emotional to get into what you're doing, that's all right, as long as you don't lose the ability to think and to control what you're doing. A lot of time, I know people today, I come from emotion, emotional background. And I used to, when I was younger, I was a little more emotional myself than I am now. The reason I'm not as emotional now is I, I'm getting weaker and older. And I, uh-oh, I hope that's the first one. Brother Tom, you're going to have a lot to do next week because I can't get into this last argument that we're going to have but I'm going to finish this one uh, but anyway they were zeal they were zeal they was the most working up the people emotion but you know what he was afraid of that he says it's alright to be enthusiastic about things as long as you're doing it for the right cause and you know it's good to feel like uh uh, Christian and, and work hard on doing the thing that you should do uh, it's, it's, it's good to be enthusiastic about it go use your enthusiasm we had a class in, in college where we had to you know get enthusiastic we had to show it about what we were doing and, and you know it wasn't nothing wrong with it sometimes you did have to kind of fake it but you need to had to get into it and and act like you wanted to do it. It was some things that we should be doing, but he wanted us to show that we was enthusiastic about it. And I think, I don't know, I think I pulled it off pretty good. I don't know what we had to do. But anyway, 
uh, Paul says it's all right if you're going to be enthusiastic about the right things, but says so those people who are enthusiastic, they're not enthusiastic about the right things. I'm worried about you. You're getting led off into this stuff and you're not even thinking about what you're doing. And then the last part of the, the our last argument we get to is the argument and 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 Brother Tom had to continue this out. Uh, the argument, justification by faith, and and this the allegorical argument, and that entails verses twenty one through thirty one. I, I wanted to get into that allegorical argument, but I, I'm not going to do that. Uh, I'm going to let uh, Brother Tom start that on and, and take it on from that portion. But you need to know uh, what an allegory is. An allegory is, is kind of symbolic. And you know when people look at an allegory, they kind of think about it kind of like they do a parable. But I, I always look at an allegory as a little bit stronger than I do and looking at a parable, it's sim symbolic, all right, and and you are, you are, it's it's a kind of a parable, but I consider it as kind of a stronger uh, kind of parable. It's a symbol of some things. You you and in this symbol of the cal cal uh, the allegorical argument here, you got a symbol that represents the. The covenants, the two covenants, and you got the uh, uh, one is uh, Sarah representing the free covenant, and and uh, Hagar uh, representing the uh, uh, bondage covenant. And Brother Tom is going to bring that out in in next. Next time in 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 Israel, I had us so told him that I would like for him to take down uh, chapter five. But now you got to add something on to it, <laughs> and we look forward to you taking it from this point uh, next week, and hopefully getting through chapter five, and then we'll conclude it with the last chapter of the book of uh, of of this book uh, Galatians. Thank you so much for being a part of this study and we're hoping that we've said some things in this that will cause you to have a greater appreciation of this book and what Paul is talking about in, in comparison to our situation uh, in today's world. Thank you very much. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll conclude. Righteous Father in heaven, thank you so much for allowing us to study together. And hopefully, Father, we have learned from this study those things that will make our lives better lives for thee. We pray that you will bless us and help us and guide us as we go from this place and bring us back together at the next appointed time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address 
to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.